Thank you for listening to this audio from Trinity Presbyterian Church in Spartanburg, South Carolina. For more information about Trinity, visit our website, trinityspartanburg.com. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're going to turn to John chapter 14, and we'll read verses 6 and 7. is the word of the Lord. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you know him and have seen him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we pray as we come to these words of your Son that we would that we would rest in them, that we would understand them, that your Holy Spirit would be working in our minds and hearts, that every one of our meditations would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Be seated. So the verse that we give our attention today, this, mor- uh, this morning, is the record of one of I'd say Jesus' most potent statements. It's really potent. It's very strong. The Apostle Thomas, if you remember the verses just before it, had heard Jesus speaking of uh, he's going away, he's preparing a place, he's coming again, and where he's going, they can't go, and it's just confusing. And he didn't quite understand what was going on here. And so Thomas asks, Lord, we don't know where you're going. I mean, how do we know the way? We don't even know where you're going. How how are we going to get there? You might expect that Jesus would then answer by speaking about heaven. Right? By, By speaking about heaven that that special place where the glory of God is manifested, where God is said to dwell even though he is everywhere present. He's somehow specially there, right? So you might expect that in response to Thomas's remark, Jesus might say something about, you know, something more about his father's house that has many dwelling places. Well, let me tell you about that. Uh, This answer would have taught them more about the destination. Here's where you're going. It's my father's house. It's heaven. It's this. It's going to be this. It's going to be like this. He he doesn't do that. You might expect that Jesus would, would answer Thomas by speaking of those events that are going to be coming really soon. Uh, Namely, his resurrection and ascension. Uh, While while the disciples watched, you know, he's ascending to this place that, that he's going ahead. Um, th- that answer would have taught them the actual path that he would take to reach his father's house. Oh, now we see you're going to go there and then there and there 50 days, you know, and that's what's going to do. But he doesn't do that either. The answer of Jesus is more potent than either of those answers, right? It's the kind of answer that is left 
everyone who has ever given attention to Scripture, it, it leaves everyone scratching their heads. What is this dude saying? When asked about the way to his father's house, the way to heaven, he does not elaborate on what that destination is like or the physical path that he would take to get there. Instead, when asked, how do we know the way? You know, Jesus does not describe the celestial city or provide them the physical coordinates of, a, of an address or a series of quests even that will help them arrive home. He just doesn't do that. He answers in a way no one ever has been able to answer that question. He's the subject of his answer. He says, I am the way. I am the way. Do you want to know how to make it to heaven? You know, do you want to dwell with God? Do you want to arrive at my father's house? Do you want to know the way? Well, Jesus says, I, I'm the way. I am the way. I'm the way. So many, perhaps some here today, think of Jesus as just some man who, who gave us a, an example to follow. Good example. He certainly is that. Really good example. Um, they think of him as saying some things that make for a fulfilling life. They appreciate or hate the moralism he taught. Well, some they appreciate, some they hate. And, but if you actually read the words of Jesus Christ, if you give attention to what he said, there is no way to come away from them and have sort of a, a, just a weak reaction to what, what came out of his mouth. One, a person who actually considers his words will either conclude that Jesus was absolutely insane filled with the most gross self-delusions. Or he was God incarnate. There's no other options, really. You know? Again, if you think that Jesus was a mere man who had some wise things to say, you've not actually read what Jesus said about himself. You've never read his self-testimony. Right? You just think he said things about stuff. But here he's, he's saying things about himself and who he is. If you place Jesus in the same category as, let's think of some names, Gandhi or Kierkegaard or Aristotle or um, Einstein, Right? Well, then you haven't contemplated the fact that none of those men said anything like what Jesus says here and elsewhere, and especially when he says, I and the Father are one. Oh, really? C.S. Lewis wrote this, 
He said, if you had gone to Buddha and asked him, are you the son of Brahma? He would have said, my son, you're still in the veil of illusion. If you had gone to Socrates and asked, are you Zeus? He would have laughed at you. If you had gone to Muhammad and asked, are you Allah? He would have rent his clothes and then cut your head off. If you had asked Confucius, are you heaven? I think he probably would have replied, remarks which are not in accordance with nature are in bad taste. The idea of a great moral teacher saying what Christ said is out of the question. Right? In my opinion, this is Lewis, the only person who can say that sort of thing is either God or a complete lunatic suffering from that form of delusion which undermines the whole mind of man. If you think you are a poached egg when you are looking for, and you, when you are looking for a piece of toast to suit you, you may be sane, but if you think you are God, there is no chance for you. You are insane. And after Lewis writes, he concludes that those who actually think about the things Jesus said of himself never have a sort of half-baked response to what Jesus says. The Pharisees wanted to kill him based upon what he said about himself. The Pharisees wanted him dead, right? The rich young man goes away despondent. The woman at the well bursts forth and tells everybody, let me tell you about a man who knew everything about me. And witnesses, right? The apostles, save one, lay down their lives for him. And so Lewis says he produced mainly three effects on the people who met him. Hatred, terror, or adoration. There was no trace of people expressing mild approval. And so the verses we're looking at today are the kinds of words that one who is considering Christ and Christianity must come to terms with. And without the calling of the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Spirit working in you, the words of Christ, his claims about himself will only and always be seen as foolish. Jews ask for signs, Greeks search for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, and to the Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. In other words, God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So what Jesus, what is Jesus declaiming when he answers Thomas' question about the way to the Father's house? He is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. Then in the next verse, check it out, if you know me, you know the Father, and if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Those are radically bodacious claims. Undeniably bodacious. He does not say, I know the truth, or I know the way, or I know the path of life, let me show you. 
He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Do you see the difference? He is not merely saying that he knows the way to go to, to have eternal life, that he knows the difference between right and wrong, right? That he knows that truth from falsehood, that he, he can show you how to enjoy this life and be fulfilled. He's claiming to be the way, to be the truth, and to be the life. He's claiming to be one in essence with God. For to know him is to know the Father, and to see him is to see the Father. He is claiming to be God. It's very interesting, isn't it? In in response to the question of Thomas, who claims to be lost in the wilderness and not know the way to heaven, to the promised land, Jesus answers Thomas by telling him his names. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Right? And it takes very little imagination to connect what Jesus is saying about himself to the disclosure of God to Moses in the wilderness, which we read about in Exodus 3. Right? I am statements there too. Just as Thomas is lost and blind at this point, so were the Israelites in slavery in Egypt. And after God hears their cries and sees their oppression, he comes to Moses and rather than the conversation revolving around physical things and what path they, they would take to find their freedom, the conversation between God and Moses focuses on what? God's name. His name. Right? Then Moses said to God, Behold, I'm going to go to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? And what shall I say to them? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, Then you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, all names of God, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me, saying, I am indeed concerned about you and what has been done to you in Egypt. Names, right? Moses is supposed to get him somewhere, and God is concerned that he understand who he is and what his name is and his names are, especially that one name, that I am name. And so you see the people of Egypt rightly, or the people of Israel rightly wanted to know who they were following, not merely where they were going. So often today, people assume they know where they are going after they die without knowing who they are following. Is that not true? Is that not your experience with many? 
They assume their destination is the Father's house, but they have not met the I am that is their only hope to get them there. They think they have entered heaven, but they have not gone through the door. They think that they have nourishment enough for eternal life, but they have not tasted the bread of life. They think they shall live in a land of light, but they have not seen the light of the world. They think that the pastures they will enter after passing through the valley of the shadow of death will be green, but they have not met even the good shepherd. And they think that they will be, you know, they're, they're, they'll be coursing with, with spiritual life, but they are not vitally connected to the vine. And they think that they will rise triumphantly to eternal life, but they have not met in this life the resurrection and he who is the life. So many people today foolishly presume that after this life they will know all these glories, but this can only be if they have met the Lord Jesus Christ in this life. There is a path to heaven. There is a, a resurrection glory that will be known. There is eternal life in the presence of God. There is water which if a man drinks, he will never thirst again. And that path is only found by believing Christ is who he says he is. It is only found by those who believe that when Christ tells us his names... He means to win our knowledge, assent, and trust. There's a path to heaven, and it's only found by those who call Jesus by his own self-disclosed names. I am the way and the truth and the life. Right? He said it himself. No one comes to the Father except through praying your rosary. Yes, it does. He says me. And he himself is the only path by which one truly comes to know the Father. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. I mean, radical words. He's saying these to, to Jewish fishermen. To the Jews, from now on you know him and have seen him. What? We've seen, we've seen the invisible God? Yes, because Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He images him forth. So Christianity is very simple, isn't it? It's very simple. Want to know the way to heaven? It's through faith in Jesus Christ. Want to know God? It's through the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Want to know peace after death? Well, there's only one way. No one comes to the Father but through Jesus Christ. There is no path to heaven that bypasses Jesus. Wishful thinking about the goodness of the afterlife will not save any man. A civilized personality will not get you to heaven. Presuming that everybody goes to heaven is to ignore the only testimony we have about the path to heaven, the inspired word of God. To not make a decision about who Jesus is and not accept what he has said about himself in all of its radicalness 
is to risk standing before a holy God in that final judgment without the covering of Christ's holiness. That holiness, that way, that truth, that life is yours if and only if you conclude Jesus told us his real names and wasn't lying to us. The only other option for you is to conclude that Jesus was an insane lunatic who must be ignored. You know? I mean, if you don't think Jesus is Jesus and the Son of God, why are you at church today? Because what you've concluded is he's a madman. You shouldn't come to church. But I'm glad you're here if that's the case because you have to sit under the preaching of the Word of God which could convert your heart. You have to conclude that you already know the way to heaven. How you know that is a mystery of, you know, or some kind of default for everybody. Or you must conclude there is no heaven and that life here on earth is just some cosmic accident and the intellectual and emotional life of man is nothing more than chemical reactions in the brain. It has nothing to do with being created in the image of God, the image of a holy, intelligent, loving God. If that's what you believe, again, why are you here this morning? Do you not see that you have heard Jesus' names, the way, the truth, and the life? And, and you have concluded that he's the world's greatest deceiver. So many set out on a path to perfect themselves for the heavenly life, don't they? They believe they have it within themselves to climb a path to God, a path that is to be found through things like the harsh treatment of the body, or education, or nanotechnology bio-enhancements, right? Or mushrooms, And Jesus, in a sense, dashes the hopes of all those self-overestimators, right? No one comes to the Father but through me. No one comes to the Father through mushrooms. No one. Only through Christ. That is the Christian faith. That is the reason Christians have always been zealous to share His name. That is the reason our missionaries that we support have sacrificed and suffered in giving up certain comforts because they have taken Jesus at His word. No one comes to the Father but through me. King David in Psalm 24 asks a question. Do you remember the question he asked in Psalm 24? Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who may stand in his holy place? He's asking the question, who can come into the presence of God? The answer, he who has clean hands and a pure heart. Uh-oh! And humanity will always and ever be divided between those who think they can clean their own hands and purify their own hearts and those who despair because 
as hard as they try, they just can't seem to quit dirtying their hands and mucking up the purity of their hearts. And, you know, I'm a conservative and, and I've resisted the insanity of the liberal mindset. I'm pure, we conclude. I'm an American and have lived my life lauding freedom. I'm pure. I'm not fat. I exercise daily, right? I don't even eat animals, but if I do, they're free range. I avoid gluten. The evil gluten, right? I avoid plastic straws. I wash under my arms every day. Sometimes twice a day. I bring my own cup to Starbucks. I plant my own wheat. I depend on no one. I depend on no one. I'm clean. I'm clean. Clean hands and a pure heart. Listen to this parable. And he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector, The Pharisee stood and was praying this to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, swindlers, unjust, adulterers, even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but was beating his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. God, have mercy on me. My hands are so filthy. My heart is so foul. What am I supposed to do? Jesus says, I tell you, this man, that man who was beating his breast and crying out to God for mercy, this man went to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. That Pharisee was a clean machine, or so he thought. He had found a path to his father's house. It came by not being like other people. It came by fasting twice a week, by paying tithes. He had his way, and that way bypassed the Lord Jesus Christ. And the tax collector, on the other hand, despaired. Rather than being impressed with his own righteousness, he despaired at his unrighteousness. And he cried out to God, be merciful. To me, a what? A sinner. The Apostle Paul had been just like that Pharisee. Do you remember that? The Apostle Paul was not always a follower of Christ. 
He was definitely most, you know, clearly not a follower of Christ. He had for much of his life been convinced that God owed him something for his advanced level of righteousness. He had, after all, you know, he was a a Benjamite who had been circumcised not on the seventh day, not on the ninth day, but on the eighth day, right? Perfection. And then, you know, he met Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And, and of course, you know what Jesus did after he appeared to the Apostle Paul with a dazzling burst of light. He told the Apostle Paul his name. (laughs) Name! Again, his name! I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Then Ananias tells him, the God of our fathers has appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear an utterance from his mouth. To know and to see and to hear from Jesus. In other words, God has appointed Paul to begin for the first time to understand that everything Jesus said about himself was time to stop trusting in yourself and ignoring what Jesus said, Paul. It's time to stop thinking that you know the way to the Father where there is, when there is only one way through Jesus Christ. And so, what was the rest of the Apostle Paul's life like? He stopped trying to establish his own righteousness, but believing in Christ's self-disclosure actually then got what? He got righteous. (laughs) But whatever things were gained to me, these things I have counted as loss. They're lost. They made me foul for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, listen, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. Faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So your future and the future of every person who has ever lived is wrapped up in the person of Jesus Christ. Is he who he said he was? And who did he say he was? What is your answer? What do you truly believe? Is it this? He is the way and the truth and the life. He is the singular path to God Almighty. He is the image of the invisible God. So to see him is to see the Father. And we see him through the pages of the inspired Word of God? Or is it this? He's insane. You've convinced me today that he's insane. He didn't know the way. He didn't speak the truth. 
He had no power over life or death. He is not a path and certainly not the only path to God. He was a good, he was as good or as bad as me. To see him was not to see God, but to see any other human being. And if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you, that's what you believe. Because these things are spiritually appraised. There's a catechism called the, the Heidelberg Catechism, and it's much you know, what, the Westminster was written by Presbyterians. And so it's angular and crunchy. The Heidelberg's got like heart and emotion. It's Dutch, right? I mean, it's, those, it's that Dutch passion. It's got heart. But listen to this. They just sort of walk through this. According to God's righteous judgment, we deserve punishment both now and in eternity. How can we escape this punishment and return to God's favor? Answer. God requires that his justice be satisfied. Therefore, the claims of this justice must be paid in full either by us or by somebody else. All right, can we make this payment ourselves? Certainly not. Actually, we increase our debt every day. Can Question, can another creature, any at all, pay this debt for us? No. To begin with, God will not punish any other creature for what a human is guilty of. Furthermore, no mere creature can bear the weight of God's eternal wrath against sin and deliver others from it. Question, what kind of mediator and deliverer should we look for then? One who is a true and righteous human, yet more powerful than all creatures, that is, one who is also true God. Question, why must the mediator be a true and righteous human? God's justice demands that human nature, which is sinned, must pay for sin, but a sinful human can never pay for others. Why must this mediator also be true God? Answer, so that the mediator, by the power of his divinity, might bear the weight of God's wrath in his humanity and earn for us and restore to us righteousness in life. And then the final question, then who is this mediator? True God, and at the same time, true and righteous man. Our Lord Jesus Christ who was given to us to completely deliver us and make us right with God. May the Holy Spirit work in all of our hearts to the end that we would believe Jesus to be the only mediator between God and man. And may he cause our hearts to hear the names of Christ and believe them with every fiber of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength. And may we despair of our own righteousness and our own clamoring for salvation and receive Christ by faith as a gift. That for which we had been laboring in our own strength, eternal life. It's as simple as that, faith. Do you hear the names of Christ? You believe he was telling you who he was. Well, then if you believe, you know eternal life. Praise the Lord.
Let's pray. Oh, Lord, we are so grateful for your kindness to us in Jesus. If there hadn't been this way, this truth, this life, there would have been no path to you. We would never have gotten to know God Almighty. And so we thank you that we can see Jesus, that we can know Jesus, that we can we believe upon Jesus by the power of your word and the spirit working in your word, revealing him to us through these pages. Lord, we thank you for, for rescuing us from the domain of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of your Son. The kingdom that will know no ends, the kingdom that will be filled with joy and peace and love and worship eternally. Lord, thank you for this hope. May we properly honor you and worship you. May our lives be a thank offering to you for what you have done for us through your Son. Lord, we, we are thankful, we are so joyful to know you, and to rest in you. Open the eyes of the blind, unstop the ears of the deaf. Father, around the world, may we see revival and see you bring many to see your glory. May, may there be people flooding into your kingdom by the power of your Spirit. And Father, we pray as you taught your disciples to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.